Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? You prepared? I'm going to do something. James, I need a mic. I need one to be live. Let's choose this mic right here. This one is, I'm throwing this on James. He didn't know I was going to do this because I wasn't certain I was going to do this. But I would like to hear from about three different people. What does this series, The Rise of Suns, mean to you? Three people who would like to come and share briefly. What does The Rise of Suns, this series, mean to you? It means absolutely nothing. <laughs> All righty. So, um, obviously, we've had different themes every week, but um, this actually, you haven't preached this word yet, but this word actually, um, I'm going to kind of go ahead here, is, is actually, I've, I've heard the term, um, not writing the ship, but course correction before. He always said that to me several times. Where we come, uh, we come to a point in our lives where, you know, maybe we think we're way off the path, and sometimes it's just literally like a slight turn to the left or a slight turn to the right, and instead of trying to make a huge change, right, make little changes that have big impacts down the road. So Amen. I'm kind of, I know, not going going back. It's all been meaningful, but when I heard the term that you're using today, I thought about that, the the course correction that he's. Uh, Amen. Before, so. It's necessary. It's necessary. Thank you, Alex. Anybody else? I wanted to be a resident for no <laughs> You were being patient. You were trying to, you were trying to defer or prefer. <laughs> but um, for me, the, this, this whole thing has, has been, um, it's, it spoke to me in the sense of having an uncompromised path. You know what I mean? And so, and what that means to me is when the Father gives you something you love, don't allow disappointment, don't allow unexpected changes, don't allow even the good, things that may seem good, you know, and things that may seem, uh, I don't know, just may seem to, sometimes things that happen to make you think, this is not for me. Mm -hmm. This is not what I love anymore. But when you are a son and you know that the Father is giving you something and has placed something in your heart and literally placed it in your hand, yeah. remain to be a faithful son. Amen. And don't allow even what seems like failure and what Alex just said, even when it seems like you've been thrown off course just a little, don't be, uncom be uncompromised. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Know that the Father has called you son and loved yeah. you. And that thing that he is giving you, hold on to it. Right. Love it. So sometimes, you know, being a faithful son means that you have to be faithful to that thing that the Father's placed in you. Never being wavery, being unwavering, never changing, no matter what it seems like, even when it's like, I think it's gone. Be uncompromising. Mm -hmm. Be a faithful son Amen. to your faithful father. Amen. 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 It's good. One more. So for me, simply, um, it's just brought clarity um, that Yahweh, you know, doesn't just raise us up, but he trains us up. And uh, being a son is about 
the, the Father being faithful to train us up, not just Amen. to raise us up. That's so that's right. what it's meant for me. Excellent. Excellent. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, each of you. So I can tell you today, as we continue on this, um, the rise of sons, let me, say, let me begin by saying this, and I'm going to speak um, just, you know, from a place that I hope you understand, but faith, when we think about the church and we think about who we are today, let me, I'm trying to figure out how I want to use this as a launching pad, but um, the church is in the condition that it is, and it's not a great condition worldwide. The church isn't in great shape. It's, in, it's weak. It doesn't know what it believes. It doesn't know who it is. It doesn't know why it is. It knows Scripture. It knows history. It knows stories. But doesn't really know how does that affect me? How do I fit into that? Many people that go to church today go to church because they feel like there's a sense of obligation because they want to escape hell. There aren't enough people going to the church today because not that they're not interested in escaping hell. They're interested in being a demonstration of life, of Christ. So again, when people are coming to the church, many churches, many places, maybe even here this morning, people come in, I got to go there, I've got to do this, I'm, it's necessary for me to be at church because man, everybody, the, I just know in my world I don't want to go to hell. But when we change our perspective and we go to church, not because we're afraid of going to hell, but we go to church because we're afraid of missing out on Him, yeah, that's right. That's right. We, pers- we change the perspective. It isn't about hell. It's about missing out on Him. In fact, hell, it, I don't believe hell is this place where we have in our mind, in this picture we have in our mind, I believe that hell is simply the absence of God and some people live in it now. The absence of knowing Him. The absence of seeing His hand at work and handy work in their life. So when I think about the rise of sons and I think about the condition of the church worldwide today, I believe with all of my heart that the church has become what it's become. It, it, it's, it's lost so much of its power and so much of, of its authority because there's this vagueness about what our responsibilities are. There's this vagueness about who we are. There's this, we are vague about what, what is the church supposed to look like because we align everything in our mind. We have this picture of our Sunday school room and our Sunday school teacher if you had one, showing you all the little things on your little felt board or however they do it now, and they're showing you all of these little things, and in your picture of the kingdom of God is Him floating an ark, Him parting a sea, Him sending fire to consume, to consume the sacrifice, Him swallowing somebody up with a whale to get Him to change His direction, the mentality of much of the church world today is focused around these stories that we heard when we were growing up, but we don't have our own story. So we try to live vicariously through every story we've heard. But we haven't conquered our own whale, or crossed our own sea, or floated our own boat. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Because 
When we read those stories, we, we try to find strength in them. When we're discouraged or when we feel disappointed in something, we'll look to stories in Scripture, whether it's the First Testament or the Second Testament. We'll look to stories in Scripture, and we will find uh, strength in those stories. But then that strength in time, we cannot live within that story. Even to say to myself every day, Jesus died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven, does not keep me forgiven. Just because I recognize He died on the cross and then rose from the dead, was sent by the Father to redeem me of my sins, does not make me sin free or saved. It's deeper than that. A relationship has to exist that I exist in. Not just Peter, Paul, James, John, Moses, Abraham, but I exist in that relationship. That's what this is about. The rise of sons is bringing us to a place where we, everybody say we. In fact, let's make it a little more personal. Everybody say I. I. Bringing us to a place where I, we exist in the hand, the handiwork of Yahweh. Where the story isn't about somebody that I've never met but I've read about, but the story is about what God wants to do with me in this earth now. And man, He does. He wants to do something with you, not even tomorrow, not worried about yesterday, but right now in the present. With you. You are. Just hear what I'm saying with the right ear. You are Abraham. You are Moses. You are Elijah. You are Elisha. You are Peter and James and you are John. And you are Christ. Not the Savior of man. But join heir with the Savior of man filled with the Spirit of the Savior of man. Is anybody hearing me today? So if I build my life on the stories of other people, other men, I, I appreciate those stories. It reminds me, it gives me, gives me focus, it gives me uh, uh, purpose, it gives me, helps me understand, okay, this is a pathway. They went through some things not dissimilar to what I've gone through and look at what they became. That isn't told in that way, whether, whatever book you might read it in, it isn't told that way to encourage you to try to live vicariously through them. It's told that way to remind you that you are them too. I want, my hope is, that in years, year, many years from now, when I'm no longer here, my hope is that people are referring to the faith and the knowing that existed in Steve Parker with the same conviction that they speak of the faith of Abraham and Moses and Isaac. And if I don't have the confidence that He can do with me what He did with them, whose time am I wasting? But I'm going to tell you the reason Deborah or Abraham or Isaac or Peter or James or John or any of these that I've mentioned 
the reason any of them were even able to do any of what they did, it's because of how they saw themselves in Him. They didn't see themselves as a congregant in the congregation of the church. They didn't see themselves as an attender. They didn't see themselves as just getting by. They didn't see themselves as a seat warmer. And they didn't come to Him out of guilt, but they came to Him because they knew, You created me for something great, and I will not let it pass. My confidence is in You. I'm a son. I'm a son. And we see throughout Scripture what happens when sons arise. Again, I've mentioned it. Rise up, O son, and part the waters. Rise up, O son, and lead out a nation from captivity. Rise up, O son, and catch what you were intended to catch from the beginning, and it isn't stinky fish. Rise up, son, in your mind and be who you're called to be and change the earth. See, the disciples did not change the earth and the knowledge of Christ introduced that throughout all of the earth because they simply showed up to synagogue every week. They changed the earth because when He changed them, they stopped believing that they were incapable and got to the place where they believed the impossible is actually possible. Empty can be full. Broken can be fixed. Blind can see. Deaf can hear. Weakness can become strength. That's what they believed. So let's begin. Romans chapter 8. Let's start with verses 14 through 17. I've read this every week. These next two scriptures I'm going to read, I've read every week. I'm gonna, I'll continue to do that till we're finished. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all, everybody say all. all. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are... What? Sons of God. You probably know this by heart by now. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, are, are. Are is a present tense word. In fact, if you look up the word are in the dictionary, actually are has a couple of different meanings. One of them is it's a measurement of land. It's a certain, I don't remember how much land it measures, but it's a word for like we use acre. It's also a word for, I don't know, somebody in here might know, like 500 square miles of land is are. It's now. And it also says in Webster's Dictionary, R is a present tense. It's a present tense position. Anything wrapped around that word R means that it is current. It is right now. You are righteous. Because He made you that. Not because you did. You are a son or you are not a son. Present. I'm going to stick with the you are a son. You are whatever you are. Are is present. For all who are right now, everybody say right now. For all who are right now led by the Spirit of God, not by Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, not by Peter, James or John. Thank you for their reference points. But they don't lead me anywhere. 
The Spirit of God that led them is the same Spirit that leads me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, those are, are, everybody say are. They are, are, not soon to be, not maybe one day. All who are led by the Spirit of God, Priscilla, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, into fear. He said, I didn't give that to you. If you got it, you didn't get it from me. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, everybody say are, we are children of God, and if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Galatians 4, 6 says this, And because you are, everybody say are, are. because you are. Now look at your neighbor and say you are, you are. A, son. a son, if you're led by the Spirit. Of God. That's that spirit. (laughs) And because you are sons of God, not in the future, not some other time, because you are sons of God, it's important that you understand that because a lot of people in the church world today live their life hoping that one day they will become. That at the return of Christ, at that point, we become sons of God. Well, I've got really bad news. I believe if we wait until that time, the moment has passed. You don't become after the coming. You become so that the coming catches you. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are a son, the Spirit, the Spirit, God has sent His Spirit into, of His Son into our hearts that says, I know who I am. We talked about this. I won't get into this deeply. But I know who I am. You are Abba Father, and I'm coming to you as me. This isn't about somebody else or another story. You sent me, and I have a story. And it's being written. What does it read like? C.S. Lewis We're familiar with him, incredible author. But C.S. Lewis said this, I don't know when he said it, but this is a quote from him that I want to read. I I found it actually this week, and I thought, man, the guy's preaching my message. But he says, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Let me say it a little slower because that's important. I think you could write that down. He said, the Son of God became a man to enable men people, not men, male, but to enable men to become sons of God. Let me say it again. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Not to be good, not, not to be good churchgoers. Not to be good religious folks. But to be sons. Sons. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 12. It says this. It says, I thank Him who has given, given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly, this is Paul talking, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. Sounds like a lot of us. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are found in Christ Jesus. 
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This saying. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom, Paul said, I'm the foremost. But for this reason, I received mercy. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then I'm going to jump, go to verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. Now Paul's speaking to Timothy. This is what I'm entrusting to you. I'm charging you with something, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Hold fast to your faith with a good conscience. I'm charging you. Hold fast, Timothy, to your faith with a good conscience, believing and knowing He is God and there is not another. Believing and knowing that Christ redeemed you for great purpose. Prophecies have been made about you, Timothy. Hold fast. And then he said, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith because they no longer held fast to their faith. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. When I read that this week, or two whenever it was, when I read that scripture, I immediately thought, heard in my heart, Holy Spirit say, encourage the church to right the ship. Because there are a lot of shipwrecks in the body of Christ. Man, there are, shipwrecks are a lot. I was just reading the other day, uh, not reading, but watching on National Geographic. And I was watching, uh, uh, no, I was reading, I take it back, I was reading. It was about a father and a daughter who were fishing on uh, one of the Great Lakes. And you might have read the story or heard about it. But they were fishing on one of the Great Lakes, and when they were fishing, they had their little sonar so they can see the fish that's under the boat, and they're cruising around. And, of course, the Great Lakes are just massive, and I don't know which Great Lake it was. But, I mean, they're deep. I don't know how deep they are, but they're deep. But they're cruising around. They're doing their little fishing. And, ironically, as deep as the Great Lakes are, they were along the shoreline fishing for some perch or some kind of fish they had up there. And it was shallow. It was only 8 to 10 feet deep. And the sonar started pinging. And they, saw, they thought they saw an octopus. Right. That's what I said. Octopus. And then I continued to read and I realized there are octopus in the Great Lakes. They're freshwater octopus. I never even heard of such a thing. You didn't either. I can tell by the way you're making those faces. But they're called something. But they look just like saltwater octopus. And so that's what they thought it was. Well, they get back. It wasn't moving. So they get back wherever they're going, and they pull the little SD card out of his, out of his machine, and he, he shows it to some friends, and they said, that looks like a boat. doesn't look like an octopus, because they were excited. Man, I saw one of the, you know, it's a rare thing, you know, an octopus. Look here, I got a picture of it on my SD card. Shows it to him. He said, that's not an octopus, that's a boat. No, nah, it ain't a boat. He said, yeah, that's a boat. Go back out there. Let's go. Go back out there in the boat. They get over that little spot they had saved, and they get over, and sure enough, it's a shipwreck. They get under there and they find out the shipwreck's like 170 years old. It's a ship they've been looking for for eons. A little merchant ship or whatever kind of ship. I don't know what kind of ship sailed in the Great Lakes, but some kind of ship that was out there. And you know, here's the thing. 
the ship, when they talked about the name of it, and they, they defined it, and they went through all the details, and they're sharing about how it, it, it was a ship that was not very old, and it had just been made, and they talked about how much money they spent to make the ship. And, and when, they were, when they set sail, they knew that there was a storm that was uh, uh, forecast for the great, whatever this area it was, Lake Michigan, I think. And they were, there was a storm forecast. Well, they get out there, and it's the largest storm the lake has ever seen, historically ever, not even since then has there ever been a storm like that. And that ship set sail, and then that night it sunk. And it ran aground in 8 to 10 feet of water and then over time began to be buried by sand. I say all that to say this. I wonder what the purpose of that thing was. I wonder if, if the captain of that ship, when he was preparing to go out and they knew that the forecast was for storms to come, but they felt like, man, this is a, this is a brand new ship. It's not very old. This thing was built for this, sort of like Titanic. This thing is built for this. I'm going to take this ship. I'm going to be zealous, overconfident. I'm going to take this ship out there, and we're going to find out what it's made of. Got out there and, and sunk, and I don't know if anybody survived or not. I didn't read that far along. So I don't know if anybody survived or made it or what, what happened, but I know this. It didn't make it. And I wonder today, how many people in the body of Christ find themselves in the same place that Paul is speaking to Timothy about? There are some uh, that have made a shipwreck of their faith. Because what they've done is they've, they've squandered the opportunity to be something that God created them to be because of some trying to be something that the church was telling them they should be. And the church was tell, has always been telling them that they're sinners. And all the while, Christ is trying to tell them you're not if you receive me, your son. The church is trying to tell them if you do these rules... You'd be a good saint, good believer, good Christian. And the Father's trying to tell them, if you just listen to my voice. The church is trying to say, this is what you look like if you come to church. And the Father's trying to say, I'll dress you. Come as you are. If you're naked, I'll clothe you. If you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. If you're in prison, I'll come and visit you. So whether you're wearing stripes, you're wearing shorts, or you're wearing skirt, or you're wearing a suit, or blue jeans... You come as you are. He said, some have made a shipwreck of their faith because they're, they're taking this thing and they said, man, this thing is fresh. I've just come into this. I'm, I'm learning all about the kingdom of God. And I hope you're, understand, you're hearing me this morning. I'm learning about the kingdom of God and this is all good and I got this thing and you know, I know that there's storms in front of me, but man, I've been well prepared for this because the church has given me all these rules and regulations to live by and if I, just, if I can just line up with those rules and regulations, I'm going to be okay. Well, somebody told that captain that ship was going to be fine. Until he put that ship in a storm and it wasn't fine. And he didn't have another chance for him. It was unfortunate. He didn't have another. He couldn't raise that ship up to try again. But I'm going to tell you, everybody under the sound of my voice today or anybody that's listening to this at any time in the future, whether I'm here or gone, you're, you happen to be listening to this message. I want you to know today, you don't have a ship that's been wrecked so bad that God can't float it again. You don't have a ship. It could be buried in a thousand feet or six feet. And I want to tell you, He has the ability to float you again. He wants to float your boat. So how do we right the ship? You know, we got these ships that are wrong. And, and I would say this, and, and, and I, what I would call a, a ship that is, that is a shipwreck, I would call it things that uh, some of you, probably, some certainly watching online, you wouldn't define it that way. You don't think it's a shipwreck, but I think it's a shipwreck when we keep calling ourselves sinners and we're a believer. Yeah. 
I think it's a shipwreck when we keep trying to abide by rules and regulations and laws that the church imposes, but it adds nothing to our relationship with the Father. I think it's a shipwreck when we try to make titles more important than relationship. And I think those shipwrecks have hindered the church. See, once a ship is beached, once it's sunk, it no longer has the ability to travel. It's stuck. It's not moving. It's not getting to the next destination. It's not getting where it's supposed to be. It's stuck. Now, oftentimes, and you've seen it, I've seen it, those of you that do boating at all, you've, we've all seen boats that are out there in the, in the Gulf, or whether it's you, a lot of times in the Gulf, but sometimes over here also on the coast, you'll find boats, depending if you're in the intercoastal, that in, in high tide they went up and they put their anchor down, and then low tide comes and they're stuck. The good news is the high tide's coming again. And when it comes again, that boat floats again. I want to tell you today, some of us are stuck in that low tide. Yahweh's trying to send a high tide. He's trying to float us again. There's some shipwrecked folks because in our mind, we don't count ourselves as what we should count ourselves. Again, we put all our confidence in the stories we read about, in the things that we've heard, and all that we've received in the past, but we have no confidence in who God wants us to be right now. Who are you? And we don't know. So let's talk about that this morning. How do we, how do we write the ship? One, first thing... Know who you are. Everybody say, I need to know who I am. Paul instructed Timothy. He said, Timothy, I want you to wage the good warfare with faith and a good conscience. I want you to wage a good warfare with faith and a good conscience. What does he mean by that? What's he saying? He said, I believe, I'm going to believe that I was not sent by mistake. I'm going to believe that... I am not meant to be the second Abraham. I was not sent to be the second Isaac. I was not sent to be the second anyone else. But I was sent. You need to know this morning. I need to know who I am. I was sent to be me. You were sent to be you. Look at your neighbor, point your finger at him and say, You were sent to be you. And you are meant to be a son. He said, wage the good warfare with faith and a good conscience. In other words, what does that mean, a good conscience? Don't feel bad about saying I'm meant to be a son and don't feel bad about saying I'm not a sinner. When Christ redeemed me, He set me free from sin. He literally set me free. He didn't say, just kidding. I've redeemed you from sin, just kidding. You're still going to be a sinner. I'm going to remind you of that every day. He didn't do that. He said, I set you free from that and I brought you into a place called sonship. And sons know who they are. Sons know exactly who they are. And when you know who you are, you know what kind of authority that you have. So let me ask this. What are you right now? Don't, don't say it to me. I want you in your mind. I want you to think about it for a minute. What are you right now? How would you define you right now? Son, slave, orphan, vagabond. What would you define yourself at, at this very moment? What are you? Present tense. What are you right now? Saved, unsaved, believer, non-believer, hoping for something good. I, I, I can, mm, let me stop there. I'm going to tell you what you are. 
You're a son. You're a son. And let me tell you something else. You, you were not sent into the world as a sinner. You become that. When you came out of your mama's womb, you were not a sinner. We become sinners. You didn't even have the opportunity yet to deny God when you were born. To say that I'm born a sinner is to say that when God breathed His breath into me, He breathed that into a sinner? Anybody hearing me this morning? When He sent you, and He breathed, into your nostrils, when He breathed into the dirt that He made you from. He didn't breathe sinner. He didn't breathe religion. He didn't breathe a life that belongs to somebody else. He breathed sonship. And the moment He breathed into you, and He looked at you and you took your first breath, He said, whoa, that's my son can't wait to see what my son is going to do. And then as sons, we go and we go and we do things. We make choices. We become. We learn how to deny him what he created us to be. We learn that behavior. Because the enemy, the epitome of sin, the epitome of disobedience to God is not the one that gave you life. It wasn't the devil that breathed into you and you became a living sinner. It was God that breathed into you and became a living soul. You are a son, you're not an orphan, and you have not been forgotten and you have not been abandoned. I want you to hear me this morning. And I'm going to keep saying this week after week until we get it, but you are not a sinner, you are a son. You are not an orphan, you are a son. Are you hearing me this morning? You at your disposal, have everything that the Father has He's made available to you. You're equipped and you're able. Equipped for what? Equipped for everything that He's called you to do. You don't have to try to do it like anybody else did it. Don't look around the room and say, I like the way they're doing their thing, I'm going to do it like them. No, because then you immediately created another religion. We're going to duplicate. That's what religion does. It duplicates. And then it refines it. Then it calls it something else. And you lack nothing. You lack nothing. I love, the, I love a father-son relationship. I was just saying to somebody the other day, talking about my dad, the man who raised me. He wasn't my biological father, but he was my father. Many of you met him. One of the things I loved about him, in fact, somebody said to me, said, they were talking about the generation today, and this is how it came up. And they were talking about today's generation and how kids, young people sleep in. You know, they sleep till all hours or whenever. And they said, you know, you did it too. I said, I don't, I don't think I ever slept in one day in my whole life. That's true. That's a true statement. That's not a fake statement. That's true. I don't know that I ever in one day in my life slept in. I can tell you when I was with my father, it, was, it wasn't allowed. He called sleeping in. If you were still asleep and a, the sun was up, and it was high in the sky, you're lazy. And my dad would take a pan 
you've heard me tell this before. Because our bedroom was downstairs in the basement. And my dad would take a metal pan and he would throw that down those wooden steps. And man, you just about throw yourself off of that bed. Middle of the summer, everybody else is asleep. School's out. Dad, please, one day, just one day. I'm not raising lazy kids. He didn't care. If we got up, of course, we knew better. We might have done this one time. That would have been the last time. But if we ever got up there and said, stop doing it. I wish you would just let me sleep in. Every other kid sleeps in. It would have been the last time. If we ever did it, it would have been, it was the last time. And you say, I'm not raising lazy kids. Get your boots on. Get your jeans on. Get you some breakfast. And meet me in the garden. We're going to pick okra. We're going to pick berries. And we're going to mow the grass. We're going to cut some trees. We're going to whatever needs to be done. We're going to clean out the garage. We're going to paint the house. We're going to sweep the porch, sweep the driveway, take out the trash. Whatever it is, you, whatever needed to be done. And he, he had a list that was never ending. <laughs> but this is what I knew. If my father had it, I had it. Because I was a son. Now in my mind, in my self, many, many times, a lot of times, more than I could even imagine, even when he threw that pan down that, those stairway, that stairwell, and scared me. And I didn't want to go out there, and I didn't want to work in the garden, and I didn't want to work, and there were consequences to that. I told you about another story, I won't tell it today. But I didn't want to go work, and I didn't want to do those things. And I was mad because I wasn't allowed to sleep in. And I would even think to myself, what kind of father are you that would make me get up like this? They're still in the bed. I can't even go play. No, you're right. You can't. But when you're done with your chores, you can. But I knew this. He was my father and I was his son. And even in the middle of all of my, oh, I just wish you were just in the middle of all of that. I knew this. In my dad's house, I was safe. And I knew that in my father's house, even in all of those moments, I knew I I lacked nothing. I lacked nothing. Nowadays, it's very different. And that was where the conversation went. Kids sleep in all hours. Lord have mercy, adults sleep in until all hours. I don't even know how. I I, I can't fathom. My kids were laughing at me because they're in Michigan. And they said, can you go, we got boxes delivered to our house. Can you go put them in the house? And I went over there, the sun wasn't even up yet. And they called and they said, we saw on our camera. You put the boxes in our house and the sun wasn't even up yet. I said, Lord, I've been up for an hour and a half. But I believe this about my father. My father, because he believed this. My father believed If you get up early, you own the day. You get up late, the day owns you. You get up early, you have plenty of time. You get up late, time has you. Now, this isn't a lesson on when you get up or go to bed, but it's a lesson on knowing who you are. So today, no. If you're lazy or you're not, what time do you get up? 
Oh, I'm not lazy. I work hard when I'm up. You don't work as hard as me. If you get up late, I'm just helping you. So you know who you are. And what I knew in that house was, I'm a son. And I don't necessarily like what's required of me or where I'm sent or how I'm told to do everything or what's asked of me. I don't always love that. But what I love is that when I'm as a son, and I know I'm a son and I know I'm safe, I know that the fruit of that sonship is going to be great. So know who you are. How do you write the ship? Know who you are. See, if that ship is on the beach, this is what I know. If I'm going to be stranded, if my ship is going to be stranded somewhere, and I'm using the same analogy, so don't get frustrated with me if you're one that sleeps in and, and your, your life is lazy. <laughs> but if I'm stranded on a beach in a ship, I've run ashore, I don't want to be stranded with a guy that's sleeping until noon. I want to be stranded with a guy that's awake when the tide comes in so he can help me row the oar. He knows who he is and he realizes I own the day, the day doesn't own me. I own the time, the time doesn't own me. And if, I, if I'm not prepared for this, if I'm a, a man who's not fathered, if I'm a woman who's not fathered, I'm not going to know how to deal with this thing. When the tide comes in, I'm going to watch it come, and then I'm going to watch it go and never change my position. Know who you are. Know why you are. Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 18, 19 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. To us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why do I want to write this ship? Because if my ship is stuck, if I'm stuck, if I'm in this stuck position, as Paul was saying to Timothy, if I'm in this position where there's no growth, there's no, no glory in my life, no, the, the glory of God is not being revealed, and I'm just stuck in this place and don't know who I am or why I am, if I'm stuck in this place, I'm not a demonstration. I do not have the capacity yeah. to get, as I said a moment ago, where I'm supposed to be. To do whatever it is that He wants to send me to do. I lose that. And there's a generation, there's a world that's looking for the sons of God to be revealed. I can't be revealed if I'm stuck. Are you hearing me today? I don't know where you work. I don't even know where you live. But I know this, your neighbors, your co-workers, people driving down the road, when you look at them, they're saying, doing, going, whatever's going on in their life doesn't look like it honors God at all. They, they could care less about the Father. I want to tell you, even in the middle of that person, there's something in them that's looking for a Son of God to be revealed. Even in the middle of that person that is the most vile, there's something in them that's looking. If God's real, show up. And God isn't going to show up by sending an asteroid or surprising them with something in space or something off in the distance. He wakes people up 
Because we know who we are and we know why we are. We exist to reveal the glory of God in all of the earth. You were sent to redeem the earth for the glory of God. More than that, you were sent to rule and reign, Jacob, over all of the earth. If I'm stuck, I don't know who I am. I'm stuck living in somebody else's past, somebody else's story, somebody else's way. I run everything through their story. Oh, man, I can relate to them. Don't relate to them. Relate, Father, I'm relating to you. When I look at you, I see fullness, and I want to relate to fullness. Even if I don't feel full yet, I want to relate to fullness. I don't want to relate to emptiness. I don't want to relate to bad stories. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again because I believe it. People have said, you know, and and I realize there's a measure of truth to this, but digging deeper, I want you to know this. Just because you've experienced something doesn't make you an expert in it. Isn't that right? Just because you've experienced alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever it might be, does not make you an expert in it. Well, you don't know. I I did that. Man, I I feel like I'm well qualified. I don't need somebody that's an expert in what's vain, what's contrary to the purpose of God. What you need is someone who's an expert in deliverance, and that's the Spirit of God. You were sent to rule and reign. And you've been given authority to do so. This is why I am. Everybody say, this is why I am. I I was sent to rule and reign. Part of riding the ship is knowing that, Mariah. This is why I am. I'm here to rule and reign. And I wonder how many people, even under the sound of my voice, they don't understand why they exist. They really don't know why they are. You are because God chose. You are because He decided. At this time, I'm sending you to be my voice, to be my son, to be my daughter. And I'm sending you. You are because I sent you. And then to write write the ship, we have to trust. This is the hard part. You have to trust where you are. I want everybody to write down what I'm about to say, if you can. Put it in your phone, wherever you need to put it, and then I want you to rehearse this in your mind over and over again until Holy Spirit makes this so real to you, you can't get past it. This is the statement. Impatience is the enemy of completion. Impatience is the enemy of completion. Writing the ship, how do I write this ship? I have to trust where I am today. And a lot of times what happens in our lives, we've all done it, we've all been there. We get into a place in our life when things are challenging, things are difficult, and we feel like this, that we've been walking through, this relationship with the Father, all that we've trusted, it just isn't working. He told me that if I did this, this would happen. 
He told me if I went there, I could expect this result. But I did this, and I went there, and I, everything that I felt like I was supposed to do, I did, but it didn't happen. Well, what we forget to understand is that our timing is not His timing. And when I consider that the many times that, and let me just use me as an example, that even I grew impatient with something. Whenever it might have been, it's irrelevant. But the, the point is, I grew impatient. And I moved. And I said, okay, you must not be in this thing. I'm moving on. Even though I knew in my heart this was a word to me. And I moved out of that and I went and I said, you, you've got to be in this because this seems to be the thing that's working. Only later to find out the thing that I thought was working came to nothing. And the place that I vacated became something. But I'd already vacated it. So let me say this to you. You write a ship, the ship of sonship. You write that ship by not becoming impatient with wherever it is that He has you. Well, this place that I'm in doesn't look like the kingdom to me. It doesn't look like a safe place. It doesn't feel like a safe place. It feels like I feel confused. I feel all of this. Well, let me tell you what will happen. If in your confusion you try to begin to live like other people are around you, you become more confused and more frustrated. Instead, even though, just hear me out, if you are in a place and you're like, I'm not even certain, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to wrap my mind around whether or not He even is, stay there. Because He knows you're there. Give Him opportunity to use where you are as a demonstration that He's bigger than that place. He's bigger than that moment. Oh man, I don't know. That doesn't sound right. It seems to me like I, you know, they do this, do that. I'm telling you, impatience is the enemy of completion. God cannot complete us if we grow impatient with where He has us. Isaac, He wants to complete you. Well, you know what? I don't feel like I'm growing that fast. I don't feel like I'm still waiting and I'm, I'm still trying to get all of this stuff. Listen, some of us, including me, we brought into this place that we might have been in, we brought into that place a lot of stuff. And it took a while for Him to unravel that. I was telling the story this morning. I remember I was riding with F. Nolan Ball, who's an apostle, and he's passed away a few years ago, but... He's my spiritual father and I love him and honor him and just an incredible man. I'm thankful uh, for how God used him to speak into my life. But when I first went to Panama City, moved there, I didn't really know him. My wife and I were on the road all the time. So the first year and a half, almost two years, we were gone all but a few weekends. So I never really got a chance to, to meet him. We were preaching and traveling, evangelizing. So I never really got a chance to get to know him. But after we came home... And we settled, we came off the road and knew that the purpose of God for us was different. And I sat on that front row in that church and I would listen to him speak. I still didn't know him. I'm trying to learn him. I still called him Pastor Ball. And, and he came to me one day and he said, listen, I'm going on a trip. He was going somewhere to preach. He said, I'm going on a trip and I would like for you to drive for me, to take me. And uh, I want to get to know you and I want you to get to know me a little bit better. Well, I already, it didn't take long for me to realize that this fellow is a grumpy dude and he's not afraid to say whatever is on his mind. 
And I was measuring him up by what I saw with my eyes. Just track with me. And I was trying to reconcile why I saw this man that was difficult to take in many ways, and yet I found myself for unknown reasons wanting to be near him all the time. Terrified of him, yet wanting to be near him. He was an older gentleman that uh, was incredible, and I, I want to make sure that you, when I finish this story, you know my absolute honor and love for him is beyond any words I have to, to describe. But I went on this road trip with him, and we're driving down the road, and we'd been gone a while, and, and I'm, you know, when he said he wanted to get to know me, me get to know him, I thought that meant talking. Somehow I believe that conversation would be a part of that. Well, he was dead silent. I mean, he wasn't saying anything. He had a newspaper. We pulled, he said, pull over whatever the station was. I pull over, he gets a newspaper. He comes in there, he opens a paper. I'm driving, I'm tired. I'm like trying to hold my eyes open. So I thought, well, I'll start talking. And I said to him, I said, sir, can I ask you an honest question? Yeah, almost <laughs> frustrated. Yeah, I put my paper down. I can, now I don't know what team's going to do what. Puts the paper down. He said, yeah. He said, what is it? And I said, you know, you're, you're a grumpy guy. <laughs> and you're difficult. And I, just being honest, and I said, you're very difficult to be around. And yet, as grumpy as you are, as difficult to be around as you are, I'm afraid to be near you. And yet, I want to be near you. And that's true of so many other people. Do you know, do you recognize that you have a magnetic personality? Even in the middle of all of that. He was quiet for a second and he said, Steve, that's not a magnetic personality. That's the anointing. Then he went on to explain, he said, all the ways you described me, if it were only magnetic, it wouldn't be strong enough. But when you see the anointing, when you recognize the anointing, you'll get through all of that human stuff to stand beside the anointing. There's nothing magnetic about me, and I couldn't agree more. But it's the anointing that makes you want to be around me because you don't know what you might hear next. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's so right. Still grumpy. And that was my first introduction to beginning to understand what sonship is. Suddenly I realized sonship isn't about everything being easy. Sonship isn't about everything making sense. Sonship isn't about everything going my way. Sonship is about positioning myself to be in the place that Yahweh put me so that I could become more than I would ever be without being there at all. And when I begin to stand next to this man, and he was, some of you don't, you have no idea who he was. You never heard him preach, but you, you, would, you would have to know. And I say this, and, and I hope I'm not giving you the wrong 
perspective of who he was or the wrong view of who he was because most anointed man that I've ever met in my life, most powerful speaker that I've ever known, but also the most difficult person to be around that I've ever known in my life. But man, when he would stand up behind a pulpit and open that Bible up, it sucked you in. You went into a whole nother dimension. Because you knew he was about to expound on that scripture in ways that you had, you had never even considered. And suddenly what was obscure in, 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 a, in darkness became, it was lit up, became alive. So in the middle of being around this person, in everything about my life at that time, again, I don't want go on, won't go into all the details, but that relationship became very complicated between him and me, even though I wanted to be near him. There was a huge portion that wanted to be so far away from him, I, 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 didn't even, I couldn't hear his voice. I was terrified of him for a lot of reasons. It was inflicted upon me. But I knew this. In the middle of all that was happening, that anointing was so strong. On the day when I was sitting on the front row of that church and I kept thinking to myself, I'm out of here, man. I can't take one more minute of this grumpy dude. And he's dogging me out publicly in front of these people. I can't take one more minute of this guy. And Holy Spirit kept saying to me, sit down, be quiet. I sent you there. You didn't ask to go. I sent you there. And you will stay there until my work is done. And I would sit there, my finger over my mouth. Literally, that's what I would do. I'd sit there because I was afraid of what I might say or do. And I would sit there and I would week after week after week after week after week. And what you don't know, he would stand behind that pulpit and he would use the entire service. To educate me. Steve doesn't do this right. Steve doesn't do that right. Steve needs to be doing this and he's not. Every week. I was the life lesson. For all the people in that building. In fact, one other pastor, another, a pastor that was in that church, Terry Park, some of you know him. He said, I was so thankful that I was on staff when Steve Parker was because he was the lightning rod. He got all the attention, but I never did anything right. But I trusted where I was. And that conversation that went back years before, because I was there for seven years before he sent us here. And we were sent. We didn't leave. We never left that place. He sent us from that place. And by the time he sent me, I couldn't be around him enough. I wanted, to be, I wanted to sit at his feet every minute of every day. It's amazing. If you trust where you are and let Holy Spirit complete the work, what the work will look like. And I remember the day he stood up in front of that church and he said, I'm going to use Stephen as an example today. And you've heard me use this example, this analogy many times. He said, there's a difference between restoration and resurrection. He said, Steve, join me on the pulpit or the platform. 
I had no idea where he was going with all that, but I went up on that platform and I stood beside him and he put his arm around me. He said, today you are a son. He said, you could have been simply restored. But to restore something means all we're doing is fixing it back up to what you were in the beginning. In your awful shape. But he said, instead, you were patient. You trusted the Father. And you trusted me. And because you trusted the Father and because you trusted the words that He put in my mouth, He lets you die. And today you're not a restored Steve Parker. You're resurrected. When you restore something, it's just like it was before, but when you resurrect it, it comes out of the grave completely new. You went into that grave, a slave, an orphan, with an orphan mentality. Wondering why you are where you are. Why are you suffering through what you're suffering? But you have come out of that grave knowing that now you are a son raised up with purpose. You have authority and you have strength today. My ship was righted on that day. And sonship came full bloom to me that day. When you hear me refer to Apostle F. Nolan Ball, you'll hear me refer to him as my spiritual father every time because that's exactly what he was. He heard the voice of God. When I couldn't hear the voice of God for Steve, he heard it for me. Now, there might be some under the sound of my voice right now. I can hear the voice of God for myself. Maybe you can. Well, I couldn't. And there might be some of you in here that say, I can't hear the voice of God for myself. Right now, that might be okay. But let me tell you what I can do. I can hear the voice of God for you until you can hear it for yourself. The nature of sonship is trusting that whatever the Father sends to me to equip me and make me able, I receive. I receive. Do you hear me in this house today? Again, impatience is the enemy of completion. Your position is the place Yahweh has chosen for you to grow from. And your place might be very different than what mine was. Mine happened to be in this little town that I never liked, Panama City, Florida. It stunk like fish. I, it was just, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. I never liked, not one day did I, was I ever there that I enjoyed. I'm telling you, Panama City was my whale. It was my whale. It was my desert or wilderness. Panama City was all of that to me, but in the middle of all of that, F. Nolan Ball was my Moses. He was my father. And when I was introduced to sonship and I understood the difference between being a son who knows who they are, why they are, and they trust where they are, when I began to wrap my mind around that, I didn't fret anymore when things weren't perfect because I knew as a son, my father's got me. But if I'm not a son, where's my next meal coming from? What table will I sit at? What house do I live in? Do you hear me in this place today? So how do we right the ship? We need to know who we are. And you might be under, hearing me, listening to me this morning. You might say, I don't, I don't know who I am. 
I want you to know today. I want you to know in the same way that Paul encouraged Timothy. Let me tell you, Timothy, this is the way. You have to have faith. You have to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He's the way. There's no other way. So does receiving Jesus Christ make me a son? No. Receiving Jesus Christ makes you saved. Receiving Jesus Christ opens a door for you to enter into His kingdom. It gives you an opportunity to begin to grow. And actually, I would even say it a little differently than this. Let me take back that statement. Let me say, does it make you a son? Yes. We, when we receive Jesus Christ, we become sons immediately. But then we learn how to undo that. We learn how to become orphans. We learn how to be vagabonds. We learn how to become legalistic. We learn how to become judgmental. So when we receive Him and we're in the raw, I'm in a horrible place. And I recognize that you are God and there's not another. I recognize that you sent your Son to die for me so that I might know you and might enter into, again, a relationship that is right with you. And today, I repent of my sins. At that moment, yes, you do become a Son. It is from that point, if you are not positioned correctly and you do not correctly trust Him, continue to trust Him, continue to believe the same voice that called you to that altar of repentance in the first place. When you stop believing it, it's at that point, then you become contrary to a son. Just like I believe when you're born, you're born holy. We learn how to become a sinner. We learn how to deny Him. So what do we do with all of this? I want to tell you this morning. If you don't know who you are, I want to give you an opportunity to know who you are today. If there's any question in you whatsoever about who you are, I want to give opportunity for you today to know who you are. And it isn't just Steve Parker or your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your kids or whoever it might be that wants you to know who you are. It's the Father. Because the rewards for a son are very different than the rewards for a slave. Sons have inheritance. What belongs to the father belongs to the son. Do you hear me in this house this morning? Would you stand with me this morning, please? Trust where you are. Where you are today is the soil from which you will demonstrate the love of God. How do I write the ship? Father, I need to know who I am. I want to know why I am. And I'm going to trust where I am. I'm going to stop trying to figure it out on my own. But I'm going to allow you to do your work and your way and your time. Someone might even say, man, this person, when they came in, they, it, changes happened so quickly, it was so fast. Their life began to change and it was easy for them and it was all of that. That's them. Don't live through the experience of another. You have your own. In my world, in my mind, when I was in Panama City, I had so much to unlearn. And I'm so thankful that he sent someone that could help me unlearn that in such a way that I could do it. He knew how much, Yahweh knew how much I could take. I didn't he did sonship isn't a good idea it's what you were born for it's why you were sent so I'm going to ask you this morning to bow your heads if you would please 
If you're in this room today and you'll say, you know what, I'm not a son. I don't know that I'm a son. I don't know who I am, why I am. And I'm really having a hard time trusting where I am. I'm not even sure that I've received Christ. I don't sense that the work of Christ is happening in me. I don't sense that the hand of God is at work in me, if that's you today. And you'll allow me this morning to, to lay my hands on you, to pray for you. I would love to do that. I would love to help you know who you are and why you are. But if that's you today, would you lift your hand? Put it right back down. Just lift your hand. Put it right back down. Now everyone look at me, please. So what do you do with this? And why is this, first of all, why is it important and what do you do with it? It's important because when I know that I'm a son, I live differently. There's a confidence that comes with being a son or a daughter. There's a strength that comes with being a son or a daughter. And then I know this. When I live with that confidence, when I live with that strength, it isn't just me that's impacted. It's the people around me. Archie Phillips was telling me a story that's telling us a story this morning. And he was sharing about how on his job he receives phone calls and every now and then he'll get a call and somebody will say something to him and say, hey man, he said, they, they'll say, man, you're, you're sure a nice fellow. Where are you from? I'm from Florida. Oh yeah, I figured you were from the South because you just have that friendly South attitude. And I, when he said that, I shared with him the story of F. Nolan Ball and I shared with him about the anointing, that story about the anointing and the magnetic personality. Because it isn't that he's a, just a friendly southern soul. But even if they can't identify it, what they're seeing is the anointing of God in Archie Phillips. What they're experiencing is here's a man that walks in peace. Here's a man that possesses something I don't. Sonship will bring out of you will cause there to be moments where people see in you something you might not even realize is present. They'll see the anointing of God working in you when you think, this is just what I do, without even realizing sometimes that what you do is because of that anointing. Father, I lift my voice today again for this people. For me, for us, for the whole earth, for the church. Praying today that you will continue to open our eyes to see, to hear, to know. Sonship isn't about the rules, the regulations that we keep. It's about the relationship that we have with you. It's about the faith, the confidence we have in you. Help us to live such a way that we're making an impact on those that are around us when we walk out of this building. Let, let our sonship not exist within these walls, but let it be our life so that you are glorified. I'm thankful that in this season that we celebrate all around the world, we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that in this house we celebrate that every day. But we're able to do that because we recognize that without that, we're nothing. 
But I pray that at this time, during this season, you stir each of us to make sure that we're consciously aware everywhere that we go and everything that we're doing that we are bringing honor to you, our daddy. We're bringing honor to you, Father, our daddy. We're bringing honor to you, Jesus Christ, our our brother, our joint heir. Father, we are sons that you love, you sent on purpose, and we give you glory to